we continue with the ministry of the word, turn with me to John's God. Well, not to begin with. We're going to begin in Ezekiel 34. I'm going to read a couple passages, and then we'll go to John's Gospel, chapter uh, 10, where our focus will be. So let's stand together. Ezekiel 34. We're reading this because it seems very much a context in which Jesus speaks in the passage that we'll be considering this morning. Ezekiel 34 and verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who are sick nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. But with a force and with cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd. And they became food for the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. And then if you'll drop on down to verse 23. The Lord continuing to speak, I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now turn with me to John chapter 10. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings them out, his own sheep, he goes before them, and his sheep follow them, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Thus far the word of God. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we rejoice and bless you that you have given us a faithful shepherd, a shepherd who speaks truth and comfort and blessing to his sheep. We rejoice, O God, that you have spoken through your Son, that the living word is living and active and powerful even unto our day. For Christ reigns on high. We thank you, O God, for so great a shepherd. Now as his sheep, Lord, open our ears that we may hear his voice. And even as he's continuing to seek the lost sheep of Israel, may you be pleased, O God, to call more to yourself in our day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I've got a book at home. It's like a lot of books that we'll have. You know, I bought it some time ago. It was very intriguing. But the author takes and looks at the geography of the world, rivers, mountains, bays, all those things, and looks at how that geography has affected and caused people to settle in certain places and avoid other places. We can even think of how, you know, there have been wars fought over a certain land that is fertile or with other resources, you know, good rivers of good water attract people to settle nearby them. 
years ago, my wife and I visited in York, England, and they had uh, they were putting in the foundation for a high rise, and they started going down, and they found layer of layer uh, in this bend of the river. And they stopped all construction, and the archaeologists dug down, 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 down. And they were way back into like 600s uh, that people had been settling there. And they could see the various societies of people who settled in that place. And that's the nature of things. Whereas you think about the heights of the Rocky Mountains that are inhabitable, you don't find people tending to dwell there. The geography and the landscape of Judah was not suited for farming of crops. You know, you think about the Midwest of our country where my wife and I have just been, and you can drive for miles and miles and miles and miles, and all you see out the window on either side is corn or soybeans, period. <laughs> it's just, it's a fertile region for growing things. Well, Israel's not like that. It was a great place for the keeping of animal, like sheep, goats, and even cattle, a place for grazing. Pasturing was a way of life in this land all the way back to the times of Abraham Isaac and Jacob. You will remember that when we were in Genesis and Joseph was sent by God in preparation down into uh, Egypt for when his people would come. And in in time, uh, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers and he sent for his father and his brothers and he's preparing them to go before Pharaoh. And he says, Joseph said to his brothers and his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, my brothers and those of my father's house who were in the land of Canaan have come to me and the men are shepherds. For their occupation has been to feed livestock, and they have brought their flocks, their herds, and all they have. For that was the nature of God's people. And the land that God gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to Jacob's sons, was very suited for that. Shepherds and the sheep they keep were a way of the life for the people of the land that there. So even if you lived in Israel in one of the villages of the towns, you weren't a shepherd yourself, you would have been very familiar with sheep and shepherds. They were all around you. There were shepherds, and the ways of the shepherds were known to those who dwelt there. And it was such a common touch point that Jesus frequently uh, drew from that uh, common commonality that was all around his people with the keeping of sheep, even as we see him in other places, uh, pointing to the vine and speaking of the grapes or to the fig tree and other things that were round about. And so from this setting, we see Jesus addressing a matter before his people. Chapter 10 uh, follows naturally after chapter 9. There are some kind uh, of commentators, some of them too high-minded for their own good, you know, they want to say, oh, no, this is out of place, it doesn't really belong there. But really, if you consider what's just happened with the uh, the blind man whom Jesus healed and, and the so-called light leaders, those who should have been shepherds, they harassed him, they persecuted him, and ultimately they put him out. And then what do we see when we're at the end of chapter 9? Jesus went and sought him out. And he came to him, and he cared for him. And then we see that Jesus continues on to speak of those who are, well, quite quite honestly, thieves and robbers. Chapter 10 is one of the most beloved chapters in the Gospels, particularly in John's Gospel, where Jesus declares, I'm the good shepherd. And he goes on to say, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And in doing this, we're seeing something of a transition. Jesus is um, a few months out from Calvary. And he's announcing that he, as the good shepherd, is going to lay down his life for his sheep. He's introducing a concept. You see it in the other Gospels. And uh, Peter, after one such occasion, rebukes Jesus. It may not be so, Lord. But nonetheless, it was for this purpose that Jesus came into the world. That as the good shepherd, 
he would lay down his life for the sheep. And we'll be looking at that more fully as we move on through chapter 10. This morning, we're going to have five main heads. I hope that doesn't uh, cause you great alarm to think we'll be here the rest of the afternoon. Uh, Each of these will be uh, relatively brief for their length. We're going to look at first, beware of thieves and robbers. It's a relevant warning for sheep, literal sheep, but even for God's own people. And then we'll look at how the true shape know the shepherd's voice. And then considering the good shepherd, the good shepherd enters through the door. The good shepherd calls his own. And then we'll look at the good shepherd's leading in our following. We'll beware of thieves and robbers. Most of you are aware that <clears throat> of King David and how God took David when he was but a lad from caring for his father's sheep and anointed him to be king over Israel. And David's often referred to as the shepherd king, a man after God's own heart. He, in many respects, foreshadows the the work of his greater son who would come. Yes, David was flawed and imperfect as we are, and yet God used him to point to Christ, and particularly in respect to him being a a sheep, one who cared for sheep. There's a remarkable uh, exchange that takes place. Uh, David's brothers have gone out with King Saul, for the Philistines are at war with Israel. You remember they're drawn up on, as it were, two uh, ridges with a a valley between them. And the, the giant Goliath would come out daily and harass the people of God and blaspheme God. Well, David is sent by his father to bring provisions to his brothers. And while he's there, he hears this Goliath making his great boast. And David is offended for God's sake. And David goes to King Saul and he says, I'll go fight this Goliath. David says even to Saul, as Saul questions it, he says, let no man's heart fail him because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. For you are a youth and he is a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion... Or a bear came out and took a lamb out of the flock. I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. You see here a a very vivid picture of what the work of a shepherd is. We could say what we've seen in in the previous chapter that Jesus has cared for this young soul, uh, the man who once was blind, as he went to him after he had been excommunicated. He ministered to him. He made himself known to him. And the man, in turn, worshipped his good shepherd. But David's exchange with King Saul also reminds us that the life of a shepherd is not all green pastures and still waters. There are wild beasts. There are enemies of the sheep. And indeed, a good shepherd protects them. He cares for them. This takes us back to those events. Uh, The man that Jesus has healed, he was blind from birth. What a stunning miracle. Let us not lose sight of that. Uh, The man, and, and pun intended, he does not lose sight of that. He even remarks to the religious leaders, he says, Consider from the beginning of time, has it ever been told that a man who was born blind from birth was given his sight? And thus he reasons and determines that Jesus is more than a mere man. There's something remarkable about him that we not fully understand. Jesus gave that man something greater than his eyesight. He gave him a new heart. He gave him faith to look to Christ. And he believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that when Jesus reveals himself directly, he falls down in worship, even as the Holy Spirit has already been working in him. What a remarkable event. 
We, we set forth before you the joy, the great joy and rejoicing for this man to receive his sight. It, it is something that is lost upon us unless we've had something similar. But let us not lose sight of that. But what's equally stunning, uh, as great as the joy is, that there were those that could not rejoice. They were unwilling to joy, rejoice. They, they found fault with the matter. They found fault with Jesus because he did it on the Sabbath. Rather than care for him, they harass the tender newborn lamb. But Jesus came and he found him and he ministered to him. Remember, Jesus sought him out, the scripture says, sought him out. It reminds us of the story of the shepherd who lost one of the 99 and went out into the night seeking and searching for that one. Even so, Jesus did. Children, in, in order to understand this, I, at the outset I talked about how in that day when Jesus was speaking these things, uh, the picture would have been very familiar to them. But I, I'm pretty confident that most of us, uh, we've not passed any uh, sheep in the field or sheep folds. We've not seen shepherds leading the flocks out at the beginning of the day and bringing them back at the end of the day. And so I just want to give you a little bit of a picture here. A flock of sheep were kept out on the hills during the day. They went out to a place where they could graze any grass. And uh, the shepherd had to keep them moving because sheep have a tendency to even pull the grass up by the roots. And in order not to damage a pasture, they had to keep moving them and leading them. He had to find them suitable land, uh, suitable water that was still enough that they could drink from it, that they would not be terrified. But then in places throughout Israel, and and even other places like this today, there are sheep pens or sheep folds where men would gather rocks and they would stack them up and make high walls to keep the sheep in and to keep the bears and the lions and the wolves out. And at the end of the day, the shepherd would lead his sheep to such a sheep pen, and they would go in through the door, and there would be a doorkeeper. There would be a a watchman who would stay by the door, keep the door shut, and watch over the sheep by night, should some enemy come, some foe. And in the morning, the shepherd would come, and the doorkeeper would give access to the shepherd because he recognized him as being one of the legitimate shepherds. And the reality is that you might have three, four, five, six shepherds in a given area all coming to use a common sheep pen. And thus you see the image that the, sh- the shepherd would come and he would call his sheep. And this is a reality. Sheep are pretty dense. Uh, they, they are dumb. We need to understand that. But they knew their shepherd's voice. And the shepherd could come, and there'd be a, the pen filled with many hundreds of sheep, and he could use his own unique call, and his sheep would come to him, and he could lead them out, and they would follow him out onto the fields. Well, this is the backdrop in which Jesus tells a story. And so you can imagine in that day, just like we see people today who want to break in and steal that which is not theirs, take it for themselves, there would be those who would try to climb in over the wall at night and steal sheep away. Thus the thieves and the robbers. This is the context, or this is the picture in which Jesus tells this story. So I hope that makes the scene a little more familiar to us. Again, looking at verse 1, Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter... The sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Jesus had just rebuked the Pharisees 
for their hardness of heart and for their spiritual blindness. They, they've treated this man who Jesus is uh, so mightily and mercifully healed, they treated him with contempt and treachery. And Jesus here is calling them out as thieves and robbers. That's who he has in mind. Those Pharisees, uh, the religious leaders who have dealt with that uh, man so poorly, they thieves and robbers, they hurt God's people, but indeed they're the very ones that should be caring for them. These men handle the word of God, and they, above all, should have recognized the Messiah when he came. Knowing the scriptures, they should have seen that Jesus is fulfilling the scriptures. He's fulfilling the prophecies, and they should have been urging the people to follow him, to go after him. You remember how, was it Andrew that did that, and some of the others that urged people to follow Jesus. But instead, these men, they hurt, they harmed, they led people astray. They maligned, and they blasphemed the Lord himself, calling him uh, to be of the kingdom of Belial and, and a servant of Satan. And they were determined to lead the people away from him. They wanted the sheep to follow them. They wanted to steal God's sheep away from the true shepherd. They were thieves and robbers. Remember how it ended. They put the man Jesus healed. They put him out of the synagogue. Let's just consider uh, before we go on some application. Are there thieves and robbers in the church today? I think many of you adults would say, yeah, and you can think of, for instances, maybe you even have been ill-treated in a church by uh, some such men. Indeed, it's all too common. Uh, They are known for their false teaching and counterfeit worship, presenting a, a gathering as worship when indeed it's merely designed to amuse and to entertain people. They're more interested in amusing and instructing. Their desire is to gather a people to follow after them rather than to follow after Christ. Pointing people to Christ is offensive to them. Think about J.C. Ryle, this quote. Uh, J.C. Ryle, the the wonderful uh, Englishman of the previous century, says, Nothing seems so offensive to Christ as a false teacher of religion a false prophet, a false shepherd. None, nothing ought to be so dreaded in the church, and if needed, to be so plainly rebuked, opposed, and exposed. Indeed, there are many false shepherds even in our day. Um, I can think of experiences I've had. I imagine some of you as well can think of the places you've been where there were false shepherds and false prophets leading God's people astray. There are thieves and robbers. We'll look at how to uh, deal with that in a moment. Well, secondly, we want to consider the true shepherd, or the true sheep, know their shepherd's voice. Again, look at the text we've read. Um, there are those who do not enter by the door. They climb into the other way. And in contrast to that, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. He comes to the door. He comes to the doorkeeper. He has a legitimate claim upon his sheep. He's left them there and trusted, and he has a right to come and to claim that which is own. And the expectation is that the doorkeeper will recognize him for who he is. And to him, the doorkeeper opens. He opens the door. And the sheep hears voice. He calls to them. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. We have seen that there are very real dangers that sheep face. What is a sheep to do to escape the dangers of a lion or a bear or especially wolves? What is a sheep to do? 
how does he defend himself? You know, does he get up on his hind legs and fight? No, sheep are very ill-equipped to fight. Uh, they're very much vulnerable. And about the only thing that a sheep can do is run. They run away from the danger. That's all it can do is flee. But would that be of much help? You know, robbers, as well as wolves, can run as well. And often they can run faster than the sheep. Really and truly, the shepherd is the one who keeps the sheep safe. He's the one to protect. Even as we heard how David told King Saul that when those beasts came, he rose up. He goes on to say that he seized the, the bear by his beard and struck him down dead and took the lamb from his mouth. The sheep need the shepherd. If a robber is climbing over the wall and calling to the sheep, entice him, come here, come here, they must move away. Uh, they would draw away, and indeed sheep will do this. If there's a danger at some point along the wall, they'll crowd away to the other side, trying to get away from the danger if someone's climbing in over the wall. Well, the man Jesus healed, he recognized Jesus' voice when he came to him, doesn't he? Now think about that. When Jesus first encountered the man who was blind, he, had, he couldn't see Jesus, but he heard a voice, and he obeyed that voice. Jesus sent him to the pool called Sent, and there he washed, and he received his sight. And it was apparently a few days later that Jesus seeks him out. And you can imagine when Jesus speaks to him, he immediately recognized that voice. Um, some of you perhaps have had friends who are blind. I remember as a boy in 5th, 6th, 7th grade, we had a neighbor who was blind. He was a very good friend uh, of our family, and he had remarkable abilities uh, to sense and distinguish things that we who have eyesight cannot sense. I can remember he would touch our heads, and he would describe the color of our hair just by how it field, felt to him. Uh, he could distinguish our voices, and it wasn't just our family. It was all throughout the neighborhood. He was well-known, and he knew well. I remember walking to town with him. He says, careful, there's a crack in the sidewalk right there. <laughs> You know, I can see, and I, and I was unaware, but he could not, and he was very much aware. And so it is, this blind man, when Jesus comes to him again and he opened his mouth, he immediately would have known that voice. He would have recognized the voice that told him, go to the pool called Scent and wash. There would have been a resignation, a recognition. This is the one who healed me. This is the one who opened my eyes. This is the one who I obeyed. This is the one who has worked mightily and mercifully within my heart. How is it so? Because the Holy Spirit was at work in the man, even as Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. Remember again, let us never lose sight of it. What did Jesus or John the Baptist say about Jesus? I baptize with water, but he baptizes with the Spirit and with fire. And we've seen Jesus do that multiple times as he sends the Spirit to give sinners new hearts. And this man was such a one. Not only did he have eyesight, he had a new heart, and he had spiritual eyes of discernment and ears to recognize Christ when he came to him. My friends, this is a precious truth. God, God gives you a new heart. He gives you the ability to recognize the voice of the Savior. When you read and hear, read or hear the scripture read, you recognize the voice of the Good Shepherd. You hear Christ. Again, remember John 1.1, 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Jesus is the Word. He is the one who speaks forth from the Word. And when we read His Word, we recognize His voice. There's something most remarkable about, about the Word of God. As a Christian, 
you may have had times where you were under the ministry of, of wolves and robbers, false teachers. And after a while, you, you may have been there for a while, but you start realizing there's something wrong about this message. There's something inconsistent. There's something unfaithful. This, this does not ring clear. This is not the word of the good shepherd. This is an imposter. And what would you do? You, you run. You get out of there. You get away uh, fast. This is especially true. That is, having the discernment if you are regularly reading the word. For you know the word. And you have the discernment of the spirit with the word. God gives us the Holy Spirit even to that end. The spirit is the spirit of truth. To give us understanding as the people of God. God gives us the Holy Spirit as a deposit and a guarantee. The one who works in us, leading us along in Christ, even to the end. John writes in his first epistle, that is 1 John 2.20, he says that you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. You see the precious promise? We have an anointing from the Holy One, from God, from Christ. He's given us the Holy Spirit to teach us, to instruct us, to guard us and keep us. And there's something remarkable about the, the, the way that the Spirit is referred to. There's a word that's used speaking of the Holy Spirit. And it's a word that speaks of two things at the same time. Those, those are rare words. But when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit, He is at in, work in us at the same time encouraging us and strengthening to do that which is right and also to stand against us when we are trying to do that which is wrong. And those of you who know the Lord, you know that. When you're being tempted and you're, you're seeking to move in a disobedient, rebellious way, you sense the promptings of the Holy Spirit speaking within you, reminding you of truth, calling scriptures to mind that you've memorized. What a blessing. And indeed, that same Spirit giving you discernment to recognize false teachers, false prophets, those with bad moments, motives. How do we detect these people that lead us away from Christ and after themselves? Well, they're often seeking to fill their pockets with what belongs to others. Indeed, belongs to God. Thus, they're thieves. Sometimes it's not a bank account what they want filled up. They want their egos stoked. Uh, like the Pharisees, they desire to have power and position and prestige over the people. But what a sweet promise Jesus makes there in verse 3 talking about the shepherd, and he calls his own by name, and he leads them out. Remarkable that Jesus knows us by name. He knows us intimately. He knows us personally, and he cares for us. And Jesus uh, sends out true under-shepherds to care for us. Where is Christ? Well, according to his flesh, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, there he is in, in the flesh of our humanity from the, the point of his conception in the womb of Mary, the God-man. It remains the God-man. He's seated at God's right hand. But Jesus Christ is fully God as well. And he is in the world. He is with his people. He is everywhere at all times. And he is looking after us. He's protecting us. But he has provided us a visible, tangible presence, our elders. Our elders are shepherds. They are under-shepherds. And a true elder will remember that he is an under-shepherd, that he serves under Christ, and he serves Christ, and Christ is his standard, and Christ is his example, and he would depend upon Christ to care for the sheep. And so we often find Christ caring for us through the elders. 
those of you who are members, you know that one of the vows talks about that you will uh, receive and welcome the, the discipline of the church. And if you've joined the, the congregation since I've been here, I will remind you that what that means is if you get in trouble to sin and we come after you, that is, we the elders, we do so because we love you. And right now, if you take this vow, you're saying, I'm going to listen to you. I want you to do that. I want you to pursue me. Because it is through that that Christ is pursuing you and caring for his sheep. We have the, vis- the visible, intangible manifestation of the care of Christ through faithful ministers of the word. But also we hear Christ as he feeds our souls through the faithful preaching of the word. We hear Christ. That's what Paul says in Romans 10, in verse 14, that we hear him when the word is rightly preached. But indeed, what else can we do? We can read our Bibles, and we measure what we hear by what we find in the Word. You listen to what's said in the pulpit. How does it compare to the Word of truth, the Word of God? Sometimes the message from the pulpit is hard. Remember, the Word is profitable for rebuke and correction. That does not mean the ministry is unfaithful. Indeed, a faithful ministry will necessarily, from time to time, involve rebuke and correction. For indeed, in all these things, it is profitable, as well as for instruction and training unto righteousness. False teachers can be identified by their use of false methods and false motives. That is what Jesus means when he says they climb up by some other way. We have seen how the religious leaders twisted God's law, expanded upon it, and manipulated it, and added layer upon layer so that they made themselves look good before the people. And the people to look bad. They, they set up a system so that the people would always have to say, well, they've got it together and there's no way I ever will. Instead, they should have been pointing the people to Jesus. And they were rather gathering them to themselves and calling on the people to reject Jesus. Consider this. You've got a serious legal matter. Would you entrust that to an incompetent lawyer? Of course not. Uh, you've got a grave a physical, a, a medical condition. Would you want an incompetent doctor? Absolutely not. You, you want the best in those things. But likewise, do not make sure that you do not entrust your soul to the care of false teachers and false prophets. Don't pick a church just because it's fun and exciting. Seek out one, and I'm borrowing from Dr. Reader's materials and embers to flame here. It's biblical. That's where he gets it from. You want a church that is God-centered, Christ-exalting, and gospel-driven. That's what you want in a church. A church that is seeking to keep the great great commission. And I love how Dr. Reeder refers to that. It is the great commission, but he often refers to it as the great commandment. As you are going, make disciples. It's not a suggestion. Look for a church that is engaged in these things. Well, thirdly, we want to consider this that Jesus says, the good shepherd enters by the door. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. We read earlier from Ezekiel 34, and we're seeing played out in in these two passages, uh, chapter 9 with the Pharisees, and indeed other places in John, and and in this passage where Jesus, uh, the juxtapositioning, the contrast of bad shepherds with good shepherds. We've just seen the display and the conduct of bad shepherds, and now we're entering into Jesus talking about a good shepherd. It was Jesus who put that word into the mouth of the prophets to rebuke those bad shepherds in that day. 
And Ezekiel goes on to speak about that one who would come, that God would send to be a shepherd to his people. Now we do understand, even as we've been talking about under-shepherds, no mere man will ever measure up to the standard of Christ's perfection. Our ultimate hope must be in Christ and in him alone. It is him we must serve. God sent Jesus as a true shepherd to feed his sheep and to rule over them. And Jesus came in the fulfillment of that prophecy that we heard in Ezekiel 34, uh, verses 23 and 24. There's other prophecies too. Isaiah made prophecies. We're, we're looking at those. We're uh, coming near to the point in Isaiah where he shifts over and he will be very much focused on Jehovah's servant, even Christ, who comes as a suffering servant to save his people. But Moses spoke of the one who would come after him, that God would raise up from their midst that would be greater than him. He's speaking of that prophet. And Jesus came with all the right credentials. If you consider all the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, the one that God would send, Jesus fulfills them all. Matthew, in his gospel, he goes to great lengths to make his Jewish brothers aware of that. Time and time again, if you read Matthew's gospel, this is something that distinguishes. He quotes a prophecy, and he shows Jesus fulfilling it over and over and over and over again. Jesus fulfills and is, presents all the credentials of being the one that God said he would send to his people. And so when we consider Jesus entering by the door, what is that door that was open to him? Well, it's his legitimate claim that he is that one. Uh, these prophecies, uh, you could say, stand as something of a barrier, a door that is shut against imposters and false prophets. But when the right one comes, the door opens. He is the fulfillment. He is the satisfaction. He is that which was foreshadowed and pictured. He is the reality and the real thing. And we see that particularly with John the Baptist. John the Baptist, Jesus, he says, he was the last of the Old Testament prophets. And what did John do? As the last of the prophets, representing all the prophets were before him, God had raised him up. And John, as the last of those prophets, says, Here is the Christ. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I am not worthy even to stoop to unloose unloose the latch of his shoe. John, appointed by God, opens the door to the good shepherd who has come to his sheep, his people at that time in Israel. So Jesus has a legitimate claim. It will soon be proven that he has that legitimate claim because part of presenting the credentials and opening the door was that the Messiah was going to go to the cross and he was going to suffer. In order to save his people, he had to be the shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep, something that we'll deal with just a little bit later in this chapter. No one other, no other one has ever come to do what he came and did. The door included a walk up Calvary's hill and then on there on a tree to be cursed for his people's sin and to die the death that they deserved to satisfy God's justice. Jesus entered even through that door. He did not climb over the wall. He did not look for another way. He drank the cup of God's wrath to the dregs on our behalf. He walked through the door and fulfilled all the prophecy. From the anointed to John the Baptist to the anointing of Joseph of Arimathea in the tomb, Jesus entered by the door. My friends, Jesus Christ 
is the true shepherd. He laid down his life for his sheep. And therefore, he has a right to call his people his own. And so it is the third thing that the good shepherd does call his own to himself. Again, look at John chapter 10, verse 3. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and calls his sheep by name, his own sheep by name, and he leads them out, and he brings them out, his own sheep. He goes before them, and his sheep follow him, and they know his voice. Many of you, I hope most of you, would that where all of you could say, Amen. Amen to this promise, to know the voice of the shepherd. If I ask you, how did you become a Christian? You would say, something like, Jesus called me. I heard the voice of the shepherd. I heard Jesus say, come. He did so, more ordinarily through the faithful preaching of God's word, but you heard Christ calling you to come. Remember what Jesus did as at the Feast of Booths. Flip back to chapter 7 and verse 37. There was Jesus. The Feast of Booth is wrapping up. The people are packing up. They're getting ready to go. And what does Jesus do on the last day of the great feast? Jesus stood up and he cried out. He's calling. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. As the shepherd saying, come. Come to me. And he makes a great promise as he shouts to the crowd to come to him. Hear the voice of the shepherd, the shepherd who has come and has walked through the door, calling the sheep, the lost sheep of Israel to himself. It's what he offered to the woman by the well in Sychar at noon. What did he offer him? Offer her. He offered her himself. Uh, the, the man who was by the pool of Aseda, he offered himself. To the man who was blind, he offered himself. It's the call of Christ. Indeed, there's a general call of Christ that Jesus gives through the gospel. When the gospel is preached, every time it's preached, there's a general call to sinners to come to Jesus so that all are without excuse. But notice Jesus teaches here that his call is also specific. He says, I call my own sheep by name. By name name Jesus calls us to himself by the Holy Spirit Jesus gives a specific and an effectual call a call that God brings and compels us to come to him he calls everyone that the father has given to him in eternity past my dearest brothers and sisters rejoice in this Jesus knows you by name and he has called you and he calls you day by day to follow him when you are wayward and strained and sin, as a child of God, he calls you back to himself. He pursues you. He comes after you by his word and spirit to subdue you. Remember how it was that Jesus came to Matthew in a tax booth, and he called him specifically to come and to follow him. Jesus was leaving uh, Jericho, and there was a man named Zacchaeus up in a tree, and Jesus called him by name. He said, Zacchaeus, come down, for I'm going to your house today. Isn't that remarkable that Jesus calls us sinners, specifically by name? He calls us to come to himself. And my favorite of all, and I, I don't apologize for using this often, but Jesus called Lazarus by name, did he not? He said, open the tomb. It stinks. Open the tomb. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. 
That is the picture of what Christ has done for us. We were in our tomb of sin, filth, corrupt, vile, dead in our trespasses, not seeking God. And Jesus called us by name. He says, come. Whether your name is John, Mary, Luke, or Patsy, come. He calls his own by name. And it's just like when he said to Lazarus, come forth. He calls you out of sin. He calls you out of iniquity. He calls you to himself. If that is your testimony of Jesus, praise God. He has called you from death to life, from bondage to sin to freedom in Christ, and how sweet and tender is the voice of Jesus. Remember the morning of the resurrection? Mary was at the tomb with others, and she's bewildered. She's confused. The tomb is empty. She wants to know where they're taken, and Jesus himself comes to her. And thinking he is the garden, the gardener, she asks him, tell me where you have laid him. And how does the confusion sweep away? With a word, Jesus calls her by name. He says, Mary. And she falls down and worships him. He called her by name. And she knew. She recognized. And she was delivered of her uh, confusion, despondency. She didn't have answered all of the questions But her Savior was there, and she fell at his feet, and she worshipped him. Like the shepherds of Israel, Jesus has a name for every one of us. This is borne out in the prophecies that God has given each and every one of his people a name known but to him. I think of it this way, that the shepherd, our, our good shepherd, he has a pet name for each one of us. A name that he knows. Even as we might have our pet names for our little children, or perhaps our spouse. The king of glory, the word of God, who spoke and made all things out of nothing, who by a word brought a flood upon the earth that destroyed all the living that were upon it and then reshifted and reshaped and recreated the the world of that time. The God who sustains all the nations and all that lives upon the face of the earth and directs the course of all men and nations and every event is all under his dominion. This great God over all knows you by name. His own name for you. What a precious, sweet promise. What a tremendous reality of this Christ for his people. My dear friends, listen to no other voice than the voice of Jesus. And where do you hear his voice today? The preaching of his gospel in a faithful church. Maybe Jesus is not yet your shepherd. He can be. He's still calling sinners. He says, come to me, and I will in no wise cast you out. Even little children, especially little children. He says, let all come. Adults, let them come like little children. Without the complications and the confusions of adulthood, just come with a simple faith. Come to me. But finally, we consider the good shepherd's leading. Having called us, the, the good shepherd calls us to follow him. Again, in verse 3, to the, to the doorkeeper, or to him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice, and they will by no means follow a stranger, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus leads us through life. Our responsibility is not to map out a plan and a path for ourselves, it's to follow Jesus' leadership. 
there are those in that day that would follow Jesus in that time. But later on in verse 16, he's going to say, I have other sheep of another fold that will follow me. He's referring to the Gentile nations where the gospel is yet to go. And through the preaching of the gospel, Jesus goes and he calls others to him because the promise is that there will be in that great host of heaven before the throne of God, those from every tribe and every tongue and from every nation that will hear his voice, that will come to him. To follow Jesus, though, is to break with the world to break away from the world and our old way of living and walking in our old identity. We are God's people and the sheep of his pasture. We are not known by hyphenated names. That's one of the contemporary issues that is plaguing the church today where people say, I am this hyphen Christian. We're not known by that. We're known as Christ people. He calls us away from our old ways, our old identity. And it is not for us to find our own path, but to follow Jesus. It is for us to follow him as he leads. It is for us to obey as he commands. For he goes before us and prepares the way. The dangers are out there, and Jesus goes before us. He he is equipped and prepared to deal with the lion and the bear and the wolves and the thieves and the robbers. He goes before us and leads us. And so we can sing, Whate'er my God ordains is right. Though Jesus goes before us, it does not mean there are not hardships, that there aren't losses, that there aren't sufferings. And indeed, uh, many of us are well acquainted with some of those things. They're very uh, tender in us even now. Jesus has led us that way. And what he ordained for us is right. And so we follow Christ. What does Jesus uh, say in Luke nine twenty three? If anyone would be my disciple, let him deny himself. You're not going to be the shepherd. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Daily dying to self. Daily putting to self the flesh, death of the flesh and living for Christ. We are called daily to live for Christ and walk and, and for his glory. Jesus' works to save, work to save us is sufficient. His work was sufficient to accomplish his will in us. This is why Paul writes that it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. One of our elders loves to quote Augustine, and I appreciate that, and I'm going to use an Augustine quote right now. What was it Augustine prayed? Lord, command what you will and provide what you command. I mean, I have that exactly right, but that's the sin of it. Lord, command what you will. He's the shepherd. Lord, command what you will, but provide what you command. And that's what Paul is getting at. The Lord works works in us, both the will to make us willing to do, able to do that which he has commanded. Lord, command what you will, but provide what you command. Verse 5 is a promise. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger. You might say, well, there was a time where I got caught up in this or that. But you're not cut off still. The Lord delivers. They will flee. From him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. After a while, you recognize this is false and wrong, and you get away. And there have been many, many times where I can remember with my kids, you know, we started giving them liberty to pick up the books that they were going to read and looking to see them exercise discernment. I can remember one coming and saying, You know what, I'm not going to finish this book. Why not? It's just, it's just, this is wrong about it, and this is wrong about it. There's discernment there. That's what God works in us. Let us conclude. Do you understand this teaching that we've heard from this text? Look at verse 6. Jesus used this illustration 
But they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. They didn't recognize the voice of the shepherd. That's not to say that they never would. Indeed, there were those on that day that in time did. And there were those on that day who never did. But Luke, I mean, John records, Jesus spoke in this manner, and there were those that they did not understand the things. Do you understand this? If you do not, pray that God would open your eyes and give you a new heart and ears to hear and a heart of understanding. And the final question, are you following Jesus? Is your religion all show or is it real? Are you following the good shepherd? Look at your life and how you live. What does it say about you? Does it indicate that you are following Christ? I think many of you would say, to the glory of God and by the grace of God, yes. Praise be to God for the Holy Spirit that the Christ is sent to work in us. But if the answer is no, then, as we say pretty much every week, then come to Jesus and know that he welcomes sinners. Amen? Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you and praise you that you have given us your son as a shepherd. We thank you, Lord, that he walked through that door, the fulfillment of all that was prophesied, going on to fulfill even the depths of the agony that was prophesied, that he would be marred and disfigured, unrecognizable, smitten and afflicted for our sakes, bruised for our iniquities. Oh, Lord God, we thank you that our good shepherd has gone before us to open the way to heaven. Lord, now bless us to walk and follow behind him as he leads us day by day. Father, we do thank you and praise you for the blessings you've given to us as a church. That Christ has set forth that you are exalted and that together we are seeking to follow you, encouraging and spurring one another on. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.